This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this lovely Saturday morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of The Breakfast Buffet and Mary Ann Vaughan for news. Sue Nunn will be with you at 10 with the Saturday show. She's in for Edward Hayden, but between now and 10 o'clock on The Bottom Line, it's just days away from the biggest date on the County Carlow Chamber of Commerce events calendar. We'll talk to Brian O'Farrell about how preparations are going for the Carlow Business Awards. With what has traditionally been the biggest shopping season of the year underway, it's an important time for Irish craft makers, a sector worth over €500 million Euros annually to the Irish economy and of huge importance in Carlow and Kilkenny. We'll hear about Made in Ireland, a new exhibition launched last night in the National Design and Craft Gallery in Kilkenny, and we'll talk to Rosemary Steen, Chief Executive of the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland, and Mary Gallagher of the Blue Egg Gallery, one of the curators of the show. We'll hear from a local man who this time last year was preparing to pitch his business idea as he sought investors, and who now, when we spoke earlier this week, was promoting his company at the Web Summit in Lisbon, having raised over €1 million. Euros. We'll also hear from Rosemary Ward from CBIC about her organisation has helped this business and how they can help you if your business idea has ambition potential and scalability. But first, joining me on the line is Jim Power, economist and host of the chart-topping economics and business podcast, The Other Hand, which he co-hosts with Chris Johns. Well worth a listen. Do check it out. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, John. How are you doing? Very well. Busy times and uh, lots on the economic agenda. But I suppose climate change is dominating and indeed should dominate all agendas. Big uh, economic implications. The Irish Times uh, reporting this morning that the government's house retrofitting plans set to cost up to £28 How's the economy fixed? How are the government finances? And are we having our act together when it comes to all the change we've got to do? Right. Um, That's a big agenda. Um, The climate agenda itself is a huge agenda. Uh, We have a a legally binding commitment at this stage to reduce greenhouse gases by 51% by 2030. Uh, That is an incredibly, from 2018 levels, that is an incredibly ambitious and challenging target to set. And, you know, it's going to impact on every single facet of our economy. And politically, it is going to be incredibly difficult because, you know, we saw KPMG prepare... Um, an economic impact analysis of the 30% reduction in agricultural emissions for the Irish Farmers Journal last week. They were saying it would cost over 56,000 rural jobs, take 4 billion out of the rural economy. And, you know, so you can see the difficult politics of trying to proceed with that agenda. Um, You look at what's planned for the um, motor sector, 845,000 passenger EVs on the road by 2030, 95,000 EV vans and 3,500 EV HGVs. 
So that, that's going to be incredibly difficult and expensive to achieve as well. And of course, you mentioned the retrofitting of houses and all of that, because the reality is that a lot of our housing stock uh, is old and clearly it doesn't stand up to environmental credentials. So it's an incredibly difficult, challenging agenda. It's an incredibly expensive agenda. And of course, the reality is, and I think there is a recognition of this, that in order to get people, businesses to buy into this, to do what needs to be done, incredibly expensive incentives and tax inducements will be required. And that's where the expenses come from. And um, it's not clear where the money is going to be raised from. Um, is it going to be government borrowing? There will be some EU funding available for this. But um, it is going to dominate our landscape mm. for uh the next couple of decades, there's no doubt about that, and I think will profoundly change the way we all live our lives. There's no doubt about that also. In terms of the electrification of the transport fleet, particularly the passenger EVs, um, you know, at, at the moment, for most people, the option of getting an EV is not realistic. Number one, uh, the cost involved is still too high. You know, there's a massive difference between a a fossil car or an internal combustion engine car and an EV and for given that such a large percentage of our motor fleet is over 10 years old it's going to be very difficult to get people driving older cars to move to EV way too expensive yeah. and then of course there is the infrastructure involved the charging infrastructure and looking at it from my own perspective um, I would like to drive and buy an EV but it will be totally impractical for me at the moment, given the nature of the driving I do, which is all sort of any bit of driving I do is long distance. And, um, yeah. you know, charging is not an option. So yeah, huge, now, uh, huge agenda. You'll be in your fossil car for a while. I haven't heard that expression before, Jim. It, it kind of conjures up images of the Flintstones. But I suppose <laughs> that's kind of the, the way we need to be thinking about those kind of cars. Minister Malcolm Noonan, I heard him in the uh, our news at the top of the air talking about the opportunities. We do need to look at the opportunities, and there will be business opportunities in the whole environment thing. But the selling of the message, and I heard you and Chris Johns talking about it on your podcast, the selling of the message is very negative and it's not really resonating with the public. A lot of work needs to be done. Oh, there is, there is a huge communication exercise here because if you want to achieve the magnitude of change that is required, uh, the one thing you really need more than anything else is to get people to buy into it. And um, people are just not buying into Well, some people are, but a lot of people just are not buying into it at this stage. And the whole narrative around it is incredibly negative. It is incredibly doom-laden, as you say. So what, what needs to happen is that they've got to convince people about the benefits and the, the positives that will flow from this move. And um, th there will be massive job opportunities and it's funny in my economics profession globally um, up until quite recently the general view was that climate change and the, the measures that need to be taken to address it would be bad for economic activity but I think there's no realisation actually that the, the changes that are required if you pre proceed with them there will be business and economic opportunities presented and that's what we're going to have to grasp but it does require I think a massive shift in the sort of communication exercise from government to get people to realise that you know I think there's no doubt whatsoever about that Bill Gates 
um, who is a, a, a much criticised guy and I, I can never understand why to be perfectly honest given the contribution he's made to philanthropy and so on around the world but Bill he's Gates his business in a shed and look at him now exactly but you also he wrote a climate change book um, earlier this year and I, I, w- I would recommend it to anybody because he's really talking about in a very simple way clear communication what needs to be done the opportunities that it will present and also very importantly the role that technology will have to play in delivering what needs to be done so it's that sort of communication we require and unfortunately it's not there at the moment i spoke to somebody in the last day who said that following an rt program the other night about climate change they were awake half the night depressed Mm. you know and that that's not the sort of narrative we need to push at the start of 2020, Jim, though, we were looking into another uh, abyss, which was COVID. Uh, and the human race, I suppose, well, in the developed world anyway, has managed, and I'm not underestimating the challenges in the, in the non-developed world, but the human race has adapted, thrived, and, and there is, you know, we're getting out of it. And the government finances tax incredibly strong as we come to the end of this year. Yeah, one of the features of the last 18 months that I think most people would not have predicted was that the deterioration that would occur in the public finances would be exclusively down to increased spending by government on social protection and health rather than a collapse in taxation. And if you think back to 2007-8, that great financial crash, uh, one of the key features was the dramatic collapse in tax revenues. This time around, tax revenues have remained incredibly buoyant during the uh, period of COVID lockdown and so on. Um, in the first 10 months of this year, we've collected almost 51 billion in taxation. That's 19.6% up on last year, which is 8.3 billion higher than the same period last year. It's 3.8 billion ahead of target. And three areas are driving it. And these three tax headings account for about 84% of our total taxation. Income tax is up 21.5%, and that accounts for just over 40% of our total tax take. And that reflects the fact that those workers that were most affected by COVID restrictions are relatively low paid, and given our very progressive income tax system, they pay little income tax in any event. Those people who pay the bulk of income tax continue to earn, they continue to hold their jobs during COVID. On the VAT side, uh, which accounts for almost 25% of the tax take, that's up over 24%, and that really reflects the strong rebound we're seeing in consumer spending, and particularly car sales, which are up 19%. And cars, every new car that's sold makes a huge contribution to the exchequer through VAT and indeed VRT. And then the third, and I think more interesting piece, is corporation tax up. We collected just over $9.5 billion. That is 18.7% of total taxation, but it's up almost 25% or almost $2 billion on the same period last year. And that reflects the fact that uh, the multinational sector is doing very well in this country, but it also reflects the fact that the tech multinationals around the world are doing incredibly well in terms of earnings during the COVID period. And of course, when global technology is doing well, that benefits Irish corporation tax. So it's an incredibly um, strong...
strong, impressive story of taxation. And yeah. um, th- thank- thankfully, that is the case, because if raising tax revenues through economic activity is the way you need to fund all of the other things that we have to fund in the economy. So uh, that is definitely one of the brightest spots um, as we come out of COVID-19. There's no doubt about that, John. Well, it just shows you, Jim, um, there is hope um, and we can get through challenges. Hopefully we'll grasp, grasp the nettle on the clinge thing and uh, not to use another metaphor, but the can won't be kicked down the road. I think, and finally and briefly, I think we are going to grasp the, the climate nettle and, and hopefully we can turn things around. I, I think we've no choice uh, because, OK, that there is this sort of cynical attitude that, you know, Ireland is such a tiny part of the whole global story that without the Chinese and the Indians actually making a significant contribution, uh, anything we do will be irrelevant. But I don't believe that's the attitude we should take. I think every country has got to take stand up to the plate and play their part in doing this. And we've got to see it and grasp it as an economic opportunity. And um, I would love to see, in 10 years' time, all of us driving around in EVs, for example. But um, And get rid of those fossil cars and put them into the Flintstone (laughs) Museum. (laughs) And of course, the other thing that's a key part of that is that the electricity generated to run those EVs, you know, will have to be produced in an environmentally friendly way as well. So Mm, the whole wind energy, solar, um, all of those agendas will have to be pursued more aggressively as well. And Mm. I actually think that the nuclear option has got to be considered but politically, okay. it's totally verboten at the moment. Yeah. But I, I think it's, it has to be a key part of the global solution. Well, look, Jim, we'll, we'll discuss that again. Many thanks for joining us this morning. And a reminder to people, do check out Jim's uh, podcast, The Other Hand, which he co-hosts with Chris Johns. Thanks very much, Jim. You're very welcome, John. Thank you. That's uh, Jim Power there uh, giving us his perspective on uh, what we've got to do with climate change and also the state of the country's finances. It's uh, just uh, 20 past nine on Saturday morning. You're listening to The Bottom Line. We're going to take a break now. We'll be back talking about pitching your big business ideas. The Bottom Line on KLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. KCLR, the heart of two counties. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell. Now, are you an ambitious and innovative startup? Well, if so, South East BIC are looking to hear from you because they've got uh, a business pitch competition called The Big Pitch and The Big Pitch uh, 2021. You'd want to be getting your applications in for it pretty soon because the judges will be making their decision following pitches from three shortlisted business business ideas on November 23rd. With me to talk about this are Rosemary Ward, who's a business cultant at South East Bic, and Alan O'Neill, Chief Executive of Web DataWorks, the company who uh, last year scooped the top award, and we're speaking to Alan from the Web Summit in Lisbon. Good morning, Alan, and good morning, Rosemary. Morning, John. How are you? 
I'm very good. How are you? Ah, very well, Alan. You'll have to excuse my uh, lack of Portuguese. But look, let's start with Rosemary. It's okay. I think I just said goodbye to you, so. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounded like hello to me anyway, so we'll, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll keep going. Rosemary, just to clear this up, we'll conduct this interview in English, but maybe in, in English, you just tell us uh, seriously what South East Bic is all about. So South East Bic is charged with looking after and working with startups here in the southeast. So that's Kilkenny, Carlow, Watford, Wexford and Tipperary. So we're looking for innovative startups who are going to grow and scale and internationalize and add value to the Irish economy and employ people. So we're given this role by Enterprise Ireland uh, who look after exports and who are interested in scaling Irish companies. So we work with companies to get them ready for investment, to get them ready for seed rounds, to get them ready to scale. Um, And this competition, the Big Pitch 2021, is us casting the net out wide and looking for those startups and seeing if we can find more of those startups to add value to the economy here in the region. Yeah, now people will be familiar with uh, that uh, programme, The Dragon's Den, where people come in and do pitches. I suppose there's a bit of similarity, but this isn't showbiz, this isn't uh, for entertainment, this is for real businesses. Tell us a bit about the process and for what you're looking for people with ideas to do to take part in this and what they can get out of it. So absolutely, this is real life. Uh, this is something we do all the time, as in we run the Halo Business Angel Network here in the southeast, where we have private equity investors who are ready and willing to invest in startups and we every six or eight weeks we have companies who pitch to them so this is our day job this is what we do every day of the week and the big pitch is just a version of this where we're just really out there looking for people to get involved so what we're looking for is people to apply you can apply online on our website uh, southeastbic.ie you'll find an application form there the closing date is this Monday uh, the 8th of November and we're looking for ambitious global Startups. Now, we're not expecting you to be trading heavily or to be um, really at a, at a very high level yet, but the, the concept has to be innovative um, and you need to have global ambition. Um, so we've got a number of applicants in already. We're looking for more um, and we will shortlist three of those to pitch to our judges um, in two weeks on November 23rd. Um, and we're really looking forward to it. Last year, we had an amazing competition and Alan who's here with us has won that competition we went on to work closely with Alan to prepare him for his investment journey Um, and Alan has great news on that investment journey very recently Yeah now Alan uh, you were that soldier you were the person with the global uh, idea and something that could be scalable this time last year you were locked down in Carlow you've had a long career in enterprise software just tell us about where this uh, big pitch came in and how it's helped you on your business journey Sure. Um, I I think I wrote my first website uh, when I still had hair uh, back in about '97, right? And uh, so I've been um, at the cutting face of uh, engineering ever since. And uh, you know, a lot of um, entrepreneurs start off as engineers or, or somewhere uh, quite technical, um, and they come up with what they think is a great idea. Um, but it turns out what what may be a great idea may not be actually a great business and, and there's a huge um, uh, learning leap between the two and I know that uh, when I, I came about and I had this particular idea that I have um, that like um, other folk I, I saw a problem and a gap and I said hmm 
I could probably do that and uh, I started doing it but then when I started talking to people and they said well what are you doing I would just go here's my idea and they would say yes but what are you doing mm. and I realised that I was I was bridging the biggest problem in technology and actually the biggest problem in technology is not technology itself it's communication it is how do we communicate what we're doing to people and that's where um, in a nutshell um, Rosemary um, and uh, the team in uh, uh, Vic uh, really excelled because she would say to me okay Alan tell me what you do and I'd go we do blah 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 and she'd say nope tell me what you do Mm. and we would keep going at it uh, until we refined it down and down and down until I actually had a one liner that actually said what we did and they say um, uh, if you can tell what you're doing to uh, uh, your mum or to uh, you know a nine year old and they can repeat it back to you in a slightly different way well well, then you've nailed it okay well put me out uh, of my misery Alan Uh, give me the one liner (laughs) okay we collect vast amounts of data from the internet we curate it and we standardize it and then our customers use that to give them insights and a competitive edge uh-huh. so we focus 100 percent on the e-commerce space so our data would ultimately end up in the eyes and hands of brand managers in the likes of l'oreal um uh, hasbro um, uh, Allegro, all of those big companies. Wow, so it's got a real real world business application and tell us how you ended up at the Web Summit then. Rosemary mentioned there that you've had some news recently uh, you completed a funding round uh, You were, as I mentioned you were locked down in Carlow uh, this time last year but tell us about the funding round Sure, so um, I was speaking at a conference in Vegas um, the, the last part of the year before lockdown and I was talking about a very particular deep technology problem that um, you know a lot of people in my industry have and I was saying here's how you fix it guys and at the end of the, the, the talk I had three attendees who were all C-level people come up and say look that's great you're talking here about how you can fix this but you know we're all inventing and we're, we're uh, reinventing the same wheel why don't you just walk and build a better mousetrap and then we'll buy it? So I thought, okay, well, I will. So I took all of the money that I had and all of the money that I didn't have and I started building this thing. Mm. But I built it just, you know, as an engineer and I was just going head along into it, um, knowing that I'd heard from, uh, albeit C-level people, that Jeff is a good idea, um, but I still didn't really know how to validate it. I didn't know how to get a product market fit. Um, I didn't know how to raise money. I didn't know any of these things. So I realized that uh, uh, the bottom line is that you can't do everything on your own and you need expert assistance. Um, so I turned then to uh, uh, the local Bix and um, said, um, you know, help. And, mm. and that's where Rosemary came in. Now, Rosemary, uh, the, the big pitch is one aspect of it, but just talk to us a bit about, you know, when somebody's got a viable business idea, what assistance you guys can give them? Yeah, I suppose, and, and Alan has touched off it there. So when, when somebody approaches us with, with a strong business idea, and obviously we're looking for really good founders who've got really strong domain knowledge and a, have a, 
identified a really difficult problem that they have the solution for that we believe can scale. We work very intensively with them in their preparedness, in their both from a strategic perspective around financial planning, sales, marketing, all that kind of thing, but then getting really down and dirty into the, the funding journey. So looking at, like, we believe that, that good companies have to find external funding to scale. It's, it's very, very hard to bootstrap. So um, our job is to prepare them for that scale, for that funding journey, and to prepare them for all the elements that an investor is going to look for. So Alan had a great idea. He had a great concept. He had a load of work done on it. He had a what we call a minimum viable product. He, he had something, and he had really good domain knowledge. But the communication of that and the selling of it to investors is a very different journey to selling something to a client or a customer. Hmm. So while engineers are great at selling the, the, the product and the solution, they're not so great at selling the whole business proposition and the opportunity to investors. And that's where we come in to help prepare uh, companies for that and get them ready that they can pitch a 10-minute pitch to investors, that they've got all their documentation ready, that they've got a really strong business plan and a really good set of financials, and that it's all communicated in the right way that investors are going to sit up and take notice and make an offer. So Alan, if there's somebody out there who's got an idea like yourself um, had back in the day and you've now made it real and I understand you have 15 people working with you on the idea, what's your advice to somebody who's at a much earlier part of the journey, so to speak? The first thing is shut up and listen. So don't think you know it all because you don't. The second thing is decently to listen to our uh, experts like Rosemary and the team. Um, they will tell you uh, what you don't know, which is the most important thing, and then they will guide you in the right direction to uh, build out your business plan to ensure that your financials actually make sense and they're not high in the sky. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is that um, by coming to Rosemary and the team and saying, guys, I haven't a clue, I don't know what I'm doing except this particular thing here, they're able to take you in hand um, and mold you along. And ultimately, uh, my um, end game is that uh, having gone through the funnel with Rosemary and the team, um, the back end upside of that was that I rose, or sorry, rose, I uh, 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 closed together 1.15 million um, of investment for the company and rather than 6.5 million um, we have 15 people working on it now full time for a remote first company and we're absolutely exploding in growth right now and I could not have done it without the assistance of that local team. Well, it wasn't the uh, Dublin team, it wasn't the European team, it wasn't the World Bank, it was the team based in our local area. Well, that's a great note on which to end. And best of luck to you, Alan, uh, um, with your endeavours, uh, Carlo-based company, uh, Web Dataworks. And if you've got a brilliant business idea and you'd like to embark on the journey like Alan did there with the support of Southeast BIC, uh, you can take part in the Big Pitch competition 2021. To find out more and indeed to apply, log on to Southeast BIC, that's Southeast BIC, B-I-C dot I-E, Southeast BIC, uh, uh, but do so without delay because the closing date is next Monday. Alan O'Neill, CEO of Web Dataworks and Rosemary Ward, business consultant at Southeast BIC, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. That was uh, Rosemary and Alan there talking to us about the big pitch. And uh, 
there's still time to get your applications in if you've got that big idea and great to talk to both of them and a really impressive locally based company web data works and we look forward to keeping up with them it's just coming up to uh, 24 minutes away from 10 o'clock you're listening to the bottom line the program for and about business on KCLR coming up after the break we'll be speaking to Rosemary Steen chief executive of the design and crafts council of Ireland and Mary Gallagher who's the owner of the Blue Egg Gallery in Wexford about Made in Ireland The heart of two counties KCLR KCLR indeed John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on the bottom line now last night in the National Design and Craft Gallery in Kilkenny a new exhibition called Made in Ireland was officially launched and the design and craft sector annually contributes in the region of 500 million to the Irish economy and employs literally thousands of people all over the country and many in this area. The exhibition incorporates over 100 makers from all over the island across textiles, jewellery, clay, metal, wood, furniture, glass and beyond and it's well worth checking out. Joining me on the line are Rosemary Steen, CEO of the Design and Crafts Council and Mary Gallagher of the Blue Egg Gallery in Wexford who was one of the project team putting this exhibition together. Good morning to you both. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. Rosemary, Rosemary um, the design and craft sector is huge for the Irish economy. They've had a very tough pandemic over the last 20 months, I'm sure. Uh, this exhibition it must be important, and, and it's a good time for it. Well, I actually felt quite emotional last night, John. You know, it's been such a challenging time for the sector, but to see such wonderful work in the yard you know, a large group of people, all socially distanced, and we had great compliance in terms of mask wearing, but really to see all of that support for the makers, and Mary will talk more about this, but over 100 makers represented in the show across 27 uh, counties, and I suppose that's that's where it's my job, to get across the economic importance of all of this activity. It's not just about the exhibitions but also about the whole role that craft and design can play in the Irish economy and we did some fascinating research John as you've mentioned there which I think for the first time really got across maybe to government and to our other partners the real scale of what we're talking about so there's over 100,000 people now employed in the design sectors in Ireland yeah it's actually we are at the same scale now as the finance, uh, the financial and insurance industry, and we're mm. bigger than motor trade, real estate, and you know um, former colleagues in the power and telecom sectors. So what I'm trying to get across is that the the scale of the contribution from all of these wonderful makers, and you know I have to pay tribute here at the start to the amazing work done by Mary, Hillary, and Stephen, who are the curators of the of the team in the gallery at the moment. Yeah. You know, it really brings it home at a local level to see it all there, the breadth of the activity across the country. So I, I and that, proud that very breadth of emotional, yeah, quite emotional about it. It was, it was really like it really is so beautiful. Yeah, well, look, it's a very diverse sector, though. I suppose if you're talking about banking and financial, it's banking and financial. But you're ranging from textiles to glass to wood, wood to you know willow, even you know, and people often uh, working on their own and you know artistically and design led, and that takes a huge thing. Important that the Design and Crafts Council kind of provides a framework for the development of the industry. I'm sure that's a big part of your role. Well, I, I think that's part of why this is so important because I suppose. Everything changes, right? And I think the important thing is that COVID gave the council a chance to reflect on its strategy 
on really looking locally. I mean, in the past, as you know, John, the council did many wonderful things about driving international activity around the profile of craft in Ireland, which was really, really important. But post-COVID, we really need to reassess now where the focus of the council has to be, and we have a new strategy, and I'm looking forward to our new board is meeting in Kilkenny at the beginning of December, and how we can support more local makers. Um, And Mm. that's really important to the Irish economy, because these jobs are resilient long-term, and, you know, there's makers like Beth Moran and Kylie, um, and Mary will go through more of them, who all work in regional economies, and that's so important now. Yeah, you're singing our song here in KCLR, Carlo Kilkenny Local uh, Radio. Mary Gallagher, uh, presumably that's important to you. You run a, a gallery in Wexford, the Blue Egg Gallery, but you were involved in putting this exhibition together. Tell us about the great Irish craft that we've got in our doorsteps. Yes, um, just, just before I do that, John, just to pick, pick up a point that, that Rosemary made about you know the local importance of, of these small studios and workshops. They're really embedded in the community, so they, you know, they're not the sort of thing that um, liable to move anywhere very suddenly or very quickly. So I think that that um, that adds um, a character and a depth to to what they do and and to their role in in, in their local community at, mm. at a financial level and at a creative level. Yeah, but it no, kind they, of shows that we're the best of what people are, really, creativity yes, it, it and, really. And, and using and, natural and ingredients and so on. Yeah, exactly. And also, that, that I suppose the point that was made in, we made in the introduction to the catalogue was that not only is this exhibition about work made in Ireland, but work made of Ireland, because so mm. much of the raw materials come from the environment, our, our local environment. You know, yeah. you mentioned things like willow there. Like any any person who works with willow, they they grow their own willow. You know, mm. and presumably um, it's not mass produced either. That's the oh beauty no, of it, and it's, it's all no, sustainable, no. and no. it's it's all that good stuff. Yes, exactly. And and you know, it, I suppose the other thing then about it is that it, t- it takes time. And um, you 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 mentioned COVID, and Rosemary, Rosemary mentioned COVID, and I know that in talking with the makers as. We, we developed this exhibition that their inclusion in this show really, really mattered so much to them uh, mm. after the lockdowns. They, yeah. they and talk to us just very, uh, mm. yeah, just give us some of your highlights, Mary, of what people can see in the exhibition. Well, what, what they can see is they can see work in all the media that, that, that you mentioned, and they can see work by young makers and by older makers. And, mm. you know, if, if you want to, to get yourself the loveliest mug um, to, to, for your coffee every morning, this is the place to go, to see mugs made mostly by young makers, yeah. a, a number of whom are graduates of the Craft Council's Ceramic Skills course in, in Thomastown. And yeah. if, if, you, if you want to drink your whiskey out of a lovely um, handmade glass, then, then, then this is the place to go. Or Absolutely. if you want a wonderful piece of work to hang on your wall, again, you'll find textiles, you'll find work in glass, um, work in linen and in steel. So it's, it's just, it's, it's really, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Yeah, Rosemary, I just would encourage yeah, you to I, go. I, I, 
Oh, well, look, I can't wait for the end of this program. It sounds like I want to get up there and get my whiskey glass straight away. Uh, Rosemary, um, it's a, it, I get the sense that there's a lot of opportunities for uh, the design and crafts uh, sector, and, and the public are kind of in a good place to uh, take the message that you're giving. Well, I think, look, this is a renaissance. You know, this is a, a most amazing time for craft and design in Ireland. You know, I think the whole process around making and being part of a community became so important during lockdown. Really, I think Irish people have re-evaluated what they're purchasing and what they want in their lives. And that's why these, this celebration of, of making, really, that's in the gallery at the moment, it's a very important example of what is available in our community. And it also, I think, points to a future direction where this is only going to grow. And I think that's why the economic analysis that we've done is so important, John, because in the past, to be honest with you, it's been a bit of a struggle to get funding into the sector. You know, other mm. sectors, I think, maybe have, you know, they've had their moments. But I'm here very, very strongly to say this is the moment for this sector. We need more support into the council so we can have more fabulous exhibitions like this. We want to encourage it. A lot of it is sustainable. And the harsh reality is that now, post-COVID, shipping costs for a lot of imports are much, much more expensive. And we really want to provide Irish consumers with this fantastic example now to benefit from these local products that don't have those shipping costs. So mm. these, this is really important. Which makes it more sustainable as well. Oh, more sustainable, but also, I think, in terms of the direction that Ireland needs to go now, post-COP, post the commitments that we're making in terms of our impact on the environment, this is a sector that has so much to give and to bring. And so I'm just so excited that we, you know, thanks to the very hard work of the, of the team put together, Mary's work and, and Hillary and Stephen, that we can show this now at this really important time and we can bring other stakeholders to the gallery and say, look, what's out there? Look what we need to get out more broadly. And I'm seeing massive traffic coming towards, you know, websites that we have where we're promoting makers in mm. different kinds of sectors that we work in. So really, there's a real appetite there, and I, I just want to get the word out and get more funding so we can put more examples of this into different audiences in different locations. Absolutely. Well, look... Just to say, John will travel as well. It will be going to, to Farmley next year and also to Barnbridge. Fantastic. Well, look, a, a delight talking to you both. Uh, that's Rosemary Steen, who's uh, Chief Executive of the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland, and also Mary Gallagher uh, from the Blue Egg Gallery, who was part of the team putting the exhibition together. And don't forget, you can check it out in the National Design and Craft Gallery in Kilkenny from today. Thank you both very much. Thank you, John. Thank you. Okay, well, look, it's uh, just coming up to 12 minutes away from 10 o'clock. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Just after this break, we'll be talking about the Blue Ribbon event on the Carlow business calendar. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. So, on the line, I've got Brian O'Farrell, who's the CEO of County Carlow Chamber of Commerce. Brian, after a COVID gap, uh, the Carlow Business Awards are back. Tell us about it. Yeah, no, we're really excited about this, John. We've got the Business Awards um, taking place on this coming Thursday, the 11th of November. Um, yeah. So, you know, 2019 was the last time we held uh, the awards because of uh, everything that was going on last year. It wasn't um, feasible to hold it. 
Um, yeah, and Emer Nifrenon was the star of the show over the last couple of years, and I, I've been involved as well over recent years. But this year, um, people can look forward to a triple help of, of KCLR talent, so to speak, he said modestly. Exactly. Well, you know, and, and we're really excited about that because it, uh, it, we're getting to showcase so much talent and so <laughs> much of uh, the great spaces we have in the county as well because we're heading out to three locations. We're doing yeah. this event in person, live from three venues simultaneously, and they will all be interlinked and connected thanks to the expertise of uh, Greg Minart and his team and Head Chalk Productions and Stephen Corey. And, uh, you know, like we were saying, yeah, we're delighted to have yourself and Emer and that on stage in two of the venues and Brian going into the third venue. It's going to make such a difference. It's bringing those people together and celebrating, you know, there's a lot of resilience and uh, innovative expertise in business. And we've mm. seen so much of that over the last 18 months. Yeah, and we spoke to Leslie Codd, who won the Business of the Year uh, competition on the programme a couple of week, weeks ago. And like he's an example of a really inspirational local business who've been recognised in the awards. But there's like literally dozens of them. There, you know, it's, it, it, there's no end to them. Um, and even, I don't know if you saw the day show last night, Bally Shane uh, were featured on it there uh, as well briefly. And from small businesses to larger businesses, there is some amazing things going on out there in business. Um, mm. You know, and yet there's a lot of business have been hit hard and there's uh, some businesses that are still, you know, uh, coming around from everything that has happened in the last 18 months. Uh, but there is, there's a lot of positivity in the air as well in business. Um, yeah. Despite the challenges, because, you know, yeah, we still have used to looking at the challenges. Yeah, we still have COVID with us, of course, and people need to take that into account and, and still be very careful. High case numbers. But you've designed uh, the event, I think, to keep people very much uh, um, safe. So it's a hybrid event. Like you said, you, you, you know, it used to be an event with maybe four or 500 people um, in the, uh, the Bernard Shaw Theatre. But you're spreading it over three venues, presumably, uh, you know, socially distanced and all that. And people can still, uh, if they'd like to go along, they can still get involved. Yeah, no, definitely. And it is paramount. We will be operating long COVID guidelines and we'll be keeping the numbers to around about 100, maximum 120 per venue. So they'll be very spaced out in the venues. And each of the three venues, Ballykeely House, Lord Bagnell, the Woodford Dolman, the areas we're using have direct access to outside areas there as well. So, you know, we're cognizant of that. We will be asking people um, to wear masks and to show their COVID search and arrival. And that is all important to us because... You know, we want to protect everybody, keep everybody safe and give everybody an opportunity to start to reconnect in, in this way as well. Yeah, so uh, if people want to uh, get tickets, Brian, how do they do so at this stage? So, um, yeah, the, the simplest thing is to pop on to carlochamber.com and um, you'll see there on the events listing for the business awards and you can click in there directly and book your tickets. Um, you know, if, if tickets booked over the weekend, we'll have them in the post out to you first thing on Monday morning. Um, or even if there, uh, people are booking them slightly later, even on Tuesday, you know, and, we'd, we, and, and we're not going to wait for the post, we might uh, have them on the door. But we would be in touch because we'd be talking to people, you know, because we've got some nominees that are maybe nominated in two different categories. And both ca the two different categories could be in two different venues, you know, so we're talking to everybody as well and making sure that. You know, they know exactly where they're going and uh, it's allowing us to manage the numbers and uh, know exactly who 
and how many people we've got in each venue, which is very important yeah, well, well, look, Brian, uh, I know that Brian Redmond, Deemer, Nivrainon and myself, we're all very much looking forward to uh, being part of that, and it, it's great to be involved, and Casey Law, indeed, delighted to be involved with the Carlow Chamber of Commerce Business Awards, and indeed with the Kilkenny Chamber Business Awards, which are coming up later, so uh, thank you very much, Brian, and uh, best of luck with that event on Thursday. Thank you very much, John, look forward to seeing you. Look, that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email The Bottom Line at caseylor96fm.com. You can listen back to the show or indeed any episode of The Bottom Line. Just search for The Bottom Line on KCLR on the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify or check out the fantastic KCLR app. Uh, and we're in the podcast section. Thank you to all our guests this week on a busy bottom line. Jim Power, Rosemary Ward, Alan O'Neill, Rosemary Steen, Mary Gallagher and Brian O'Farrell. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced the show and thanks to Martin Bridgman in the studio back at Bays for twiddling all the buttons and keeping me between the rails. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next Saturday just after nine for more stories for and about business. If you're in Carlo, I hope you'll be watching or attending the Carlo Business Awards next Thursday evening in Kilkenny too. Don't forget the Business Awards. They're coming up in a few weeks' time and we'll have some more info on that next week. No matter what, always remember, when at all possible, keep it local and stay local. So until we speak again, stay tuned to KCLR, stay safe, look after yourself and keep the faith. Thank you. Goodbye. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to business large and small.